Welcome to the Inking of Immunity podcast. You haven't heard my voice in a little while. I am Chris Lynn. I've been lurking in the background, but I am back with Mike Smetana and Becky Owens. <laughs> and we are here today with Dustin Kiskadden, Dr. Dustin Kiskadden. I'm practicing my Scottish pronunciation. And now I'm going to toggle to the first name, which I can pronounce with ease. Dustin and I recently met last, uh, well, I guess last semester, we were both at the Mid-Atlantic, Dustin, help me out. What's the stand for? MAPCA? Mid-Atlantic Popular Culture <laughs> Association Conference, right? I don't know. I don't know. I think that sounds great. I mean, if it's not that, it should be. <laughs> <laughs> Dustin's a researcher with, he's, he's a, a trained in sociology, I believe. Uh, Dustin is a researcher with expertise at the intersection of culture, the economy, and technology. He received his PhD in sociology from UC Davis, where he studied the sociology of embodiment, bodies, and body labor to understand and explain people at work. His autoethnographic dissertation, Blood and Lightning, that's a great title, The Embodied Production of a Tattooer, explains how tattoo artists experience and overcome the embodied demands of their work which is the first sociological account of tattooing to come from the direct experience of becoming a professional tattoo artist. Dustin's dissertation was recently published as a book, Tattooers at Work, an Emotional and Permanent Body Labor in the Rutledge Companion to Beauty Politics. And he's currently VP of User Experience Research at J.P. Morgan Chase and Company and making way more money than any of the rest of us probably. (laughs) (laughs) welcome how are you thanks for having me long time listener first time caller i appreciate the podcast i like what you folks are doing uh really fascinating work and um i love talking about uh this project so thanks for having me on thanks for coming absolutely thank you and before we dive into it all could you tell us a little bit more about yourself maybe what sparked your interest in academia and research and and why you chose sociology Uh, Absolutely. So I came to sociology as like a a punk rock kid in Bakersfield, California. I didn't exactly have my sights set out on academia. I didn't really know anything about it, uh, but was introduced to sociology kind of within my community. I mean, Bakersfield's got a small but kind of rough punk rock scene. And um, it turns out this bartender was doing a master's degree in sociology and me and my friends were like anti-racist, uh, you know, folks at that time in Bakersfield. This is the early 2000s. And I was describing my views about race to him. And he said, hey, you sound like a sociologist. This guy named Alan Zimmerman. Amazing. Uh, I had no idea what he was talking about. So I was like, what do you mean? And he started describing sociology to me. You know, I'm a high schooler at this point. And it blew my mind. I thought it was the coolest thing in the world. I thought it spoke the language I always wanted. So I enrolled in my local community college and made it a point to uh, to understand sociology, mostly driven by a sort of politics, uh, thinking about political activism. And that matured uh, at least my sociological interest into some of the stuff that I'm working on today involving culture and money and bodies. Uh, but yeah, so I'm sort of homegrown. Uh, you know, that's kind of how I found my way into tattooing. I was 
I'm enveloped in scenes that were pretty, uh, pretty adjacent to the lifestyle of the like kind of gritty street shop tattoo scene. So that's where I come in. I mean, there's a lot in there that I would love to describe. There's a lot of, of roads, paths not taken, uh, especially within sociology, but I ended up doing the PhD. I taught at community college for nine years. I was a lecturer at UC Davis for some time. And uh, yeah, I'll always love sociology. So uh, your background obviously sounds really interesting. And I understand that you interned at the San Francisco Museum of Modern Art, Architecture and Design Group. That, that's right. Yeah. yeah. So um, I'm guessing that and with obviously the work that you've done now, you have an interest in art in general. Um, would you consider yourself, you know, an arty person? Is this is this how your sort of interest between art and sociology kind of melded together? Or uh, Absolutely. So... I would definitely consider myself an arty person. My spouse uh, is like an arts professional. She's on the executive team at SFMOMA and our lives are very much built around thinking about and experiencing art, beauty, and, and sort of artifacts of culture. So I was always drawing and painting as a kid and uh, was brought to San Francisco Museum of Modern Arts Architecture and Design Department in part because I was interested in thinking through the history of architecture and design, um, maybe even for a dissertation project. This idea that I'm fascinated by the intersection of culture, money, and, and bodies is, is a kind of broad interest of mine where, you know, I see what I see in tattooing in other places, including in the worlds of design and architecture, where people are trying to figure out how it is that we as people, as humans, are impacted by the spaces and the objects with which we interact on a daily basis and how it is that we take that experience into our meaning-making practices, which is culture, and of course, our financial experiences in terms of what we purchase, why, how, how it is that markets are shaped by all of this. So you can very well find that stuff in the architecture studio, in the design studio. And one of the things that carried over from that interest in architecture and design, of course, is in tattooing, people who have a kind of artistic experience, or rather, they want to be producing works of visual significance, tattoo artists, uh, but they have to work with clients who have their own needs and their own demands, and they have budgets and they have timeframes. And so there is this interaction uh, that can be full of moments of, of tension where imagine the architect comes in and he's got his plans or her plans or their plans. And they're like, this is the building I want to build. And then the, the person funding it's okay. Look, well, I don't have the money for that. Or I don't see the significance of that shape of window. I don't care about it. And so that was the thing that I started paying attention to in tattooing. And it's the thing that I thought I might learn a little bit more about in architecture as well. So to give everybody maybe listening who is relatively recent to the tattoo culture uh a little bit of background i think you're in basically the epicenter for u.s tattoo culture in some ways i think about lyle tuttle he was based in san francisco and he was tattooing Cher and janice joplin back in the day and and made it famous i'm sort of interested in in how you've you've been processing that last i guess our, our most recent episode with marie hadley discusses intellectual property and tattooing and Mike Tyson getting a faux 
Maori design and then the hangover had a depiction of it and the tattoo artist suit, right? So there's all this I stuff brewing around who owns tattooing and, and you actually have a piece that you published in SF MoMA's open space called Plenty of Skin where you describe the cultural struggle over the craft and profession. And so I wonder if you could talk about this culture of ownership and then and then how does gender work its way into it? Because there's a lot of gender politics in the world at large. San Francisco, again, is an epicenter for that kind of transformation revolution as well. Uh, absolutely. And I've heard several times people describe the San Francisco Bay Area as the mecca of tattooing. Um, in fact, the Bay Area Tattoo Convention, which is a yearly experience, is, is said to be one of the best conventions. Uh, it's an amazing experience. Now, I would say, yeah, it's, it's super intimidating uh, if you're a new tattooer to walk into shops in San Francisco, knowing very well that the people you're talking to have been on magazine covers, have been on TV shows, you know, they're making five, $6,000 a week. Um, and some of them are the best of the best. So I did get to speak with some of those people uh, and some of the people who were at the very beginning of what we now see is a huge proliferation of queer tattoo culture, uh, the sort of lesbian gay scene of the 1980s. I mean, I got to interview the person who essentially founded uh, what they called the, the, the country's first full-on, quote-unquote, full-on dyke shop uh, in the 80s where they were tattooing people who were um, HIV positive and developing new regimes around sanitation in, in, in light of that experience. So, you know, walking around in San Francisco or even Oakland and Berkeley is almost like walking around in, in, a, in a special place for tattooers. Uh, not to mention we have the history of Ed Hardy and some contemporary folks who are essentially masters of the craft. And the, the sort of the queer uh, history of tattooing is, is, is very prominent uh, in the San Francisco Bay Area as well. Uh, you have Phil Sparrow, who was a, a really big, big name. He had a, an awesome book called Bad Boys and Tough Tattoos. Now, uh, my experience in that world was, was rather interesting in that, of course, I come at it as a white guy who is perceived as straight uh, in the world and carry tons of privilege, uh, if only the kind of confidence that people will take me seriously. But I, I didn't never, I never fit into like tough tattoo worlds. I mean, there's some tough tattoo shops in San Francisco that I walked into and wanted to talk with people. And they're just like, you know, I'm, I'm a suspect, you know, suspect masculinity uh, in, in brightly co colored sneakers over here. So yeah, there was definitely people I could talk to easily and people I couldn't talk to easily. And with the piece for SF Mama's blog was the first real research I did in tattooing. I had been getting tattoos for many years. Um, I had only done one tattoo, uh, a stick and poke at my cooperative house uh, at some point. Um, but this, this experience of trying to write an article about tattooing and a struggle around tattoo training and socialization really turned me on to the idea of learning, trying to learn more about tattooing as like a researcher. Uh, that article features a, a struggle around how tattoo artists are supposed to be trained and socialized into the craft or the occupation or the, the thing that is tattooing. Uh, there was a, a group of people who wanted to open up a tattoo school in, in Oakland. And there's some big names in tattooing with a lot of social capital in the tattoo world who did not want that to happen and who took it upon themselves to 
try and ensure that it didn't, uh, essentially by developing a large online slander campaign <laughs> targeting the shop uh, and the people involved. And I will say that the the shop and the people involved are near and dear to me because I essentially, I eventually apprenticed um, under the guy who was involved, uh, who, who said, yes, I might try this tattoo school thing. Um, his name is Matt Decker and he's a an awesome tattooer, an incredible mentor, and someone who took a gamble on a, on a big idea and eventually pulled out. Um, and, and so, yeah, there was Lyle Tuttle, uh, there at the, at the shop one day uh, as part of a protest. I wasn't there. I wasn't involved in the shop at the time, but the writing that article brought me into that conversation and allowed me to start thinking about, Hey, how is it possible <laughs> that we have an occupation or a thing or a craft that is tattooing that doesn't have things like schools? If you look around at almost every occupation in the United States, including hairstyling and manicuring, they've become rather professionalized uh, over the last 40 years. There are codified standards. There are schools people have to go to. There are licenses people have to get. And in tattooing, of course, you have to become a t licensed tattooer. Now that process I'm, I'm licensed in the state of California, but it's different. And I thought, okay, that's my question. And doing the, doing the piece allowed me to meet and greet some of the people that then became essential to my larger project. And it also gave me confidence because I, I figured out, hey, you know, you can walk into a tattoo shop and it's, it's, for me, it's intimidating and uh, strange. And, uh, but, you know, if you can, if I found that if I, gave most of the people there a sense of like, hey, I'm here, I'm interested in your life. Uh, I'm taking this very seriously. And, you know, can you tell me about what, you, what you're experiencing? And if, if they have the time, they're quite likely to be like, yeah, you know, they might say fuck off, which someone said to me, right? <laughs> uh, they might say, get the hell out of here. You're lucky you can even ask me that question. And that is, you know, that's interesting in and of itself. That is interesting. I can still remember my, my first time in a tattoo shop, and it was uh, quite intimidating, to say the least. Um, this is actually exciting. We have our first Facebook Live question. So we do have live listeners. Um, we have a question from Sahan Sabir, who asks, is there any gender discrimination in tattooing in the San Francisco area? I would say absolutely yes. I think, uh, I mean, there's gender discrimination in every field. I mean, if you step back a little bit and think about the history of gender discrimination in the workplace, and we can also talk about whiteness, white supremacy and tattooing, if, if we were to sort of go into thinking about these, uh, these terms. One thing about tattooing that's interesting is that a lot of people who take on apprentices, for instance, people who often own shops and have been tattooing for a long time, they have quite a bit of autonomy. I mean, they can say, hey, yeah, I'll take you on as an apprentice or, or no. There isn't an application process, right? Uh, and so what you're going to find in anything like that, where there are kind of a loosely structured set of expectations around who qualifies for an apprenticeship and who doesn't, you're going to find that people are making decisions on the basis of things like gut instincts or rapport or fit, quote unquote, and the, the idea of, oh, you, you fit with us. Um, and so, you know, if, if you're looking to tattooing or almost any occupation that has a great degree of discrepancy with regard to who should be included and who shouldn't, uh, you're going to find a great deal of discrimination. And what was interesting about my experience, at least, was that 
I, I mainly interacted with, uh, with people who are in tattooing, who are, who identify as queer or who are women. Um, they're not the, the sort of tough bros that I expected to find all over tattooing, I think in part because of my location and also my inclination, like the way I talk and carry myself and the things I'm interested in, the types of imagery I'm interested in. So I met a lot of people who have had a lot of stories to tell around walking into tattoo shops and being told essentially to fuck off. Now, in my own experience, I mean, my mentor is a, a white cisgender guy just like me, and we had a substantial rapport in part on the basis of our shared life experiences. I mean, he came from a small town in New Mexico. I came from Bakersfield. We shared an interest in music. We shared an interest in the kind of tattoo imagery. We had a similar language. And a lot of that has to do with us being, uh, you know, working class white guys who, who were fascinated by the sort of the anger of punk rock. And so that was that was key. Now, it was also the case that he did not want to apprentice uh, another white guy into tattooing. So there was a lot of conversation we had around what does it mean for him to take me on? And in fact, his other apprentices are all like queer women of color. So it's, he's trying to make an intentional effort to be like, you know, I see this happening in tattooing. I want to be a part of the change. And in taking me on, he's kind of like, you know, you know, I don't really want to do this, but of course I really want to do this. Let's do this. Um, I hope that answers the question. Uh, the question is like, yes, there is gender discrimination. The answer is like, also people, queer folks, women, trans folks, they're opening up their own shops. I mean, they're building their own tattoo world. It's, it's established. I mean, there's like an amazing array of opportunities for people who are gender non-conforming, gender non-binary, who, who are sort of finding their own opportunities, whether they're being self-taught or they're getting into shops that are that are explicitly working to avoid reproducing the sort of white bro culture of tattooing. And now this is the, the Bay Area. I hope that this is happening elsewhere. I've been to shops elsewhere that like have that feel and that impulse and that desire. Um, but I can't really speak to things outside of my own experience. So uh, one thing I'll say, just hopefully for the record, is that when I talk about tattooing, I'm really just talking about what I know, right? Which is the 50 people I interviewed, the couple of years I had in, in the trade. I mean, to speak of tattooing in like a total way would be would be overdoing it. So I'm trying to not do that too. But do you think uh, some of the trends you see in San Francisco represent the sort of cosmopolitan nature of the bigger cities? And it, and it reflects what we see with... I had a student who studied witchcraft, right? And we, we can see witchcraft being practiced in rural areas, but we don't have enough people doing it that we can actually operationalize and study a lot of variables like gender discrimination until we get in cosmopolitan places that can host the amount of diversity that people can actually monetize their interests. And once you monetized it, that diversity is supported economically and it makes those cosmopolitan places a lot more friendly in that regard. And I don't think a lot of rural or less cosmopolitan places simply have the critical mass of diversity to support all those sorts of opportunities. But I have seen shops like that in, for instance, Kingston, New York, closed now after the pandemic, but this was like 20 years ago. I remember seeing shops like that popping up and the trend uh, happening. So I thought it was very exciting 
at the time for the exact same reason as you, Dustin, that I felt rather emasculated. Those are my words, not yours, but I felt emasculated going into some of these biker shops and just not having the sort of tough guy thing. I just didn't, I just don't do it. Yeah. Yeah. I would say, I mean, on that, like the great majority of my clients were like young college educated queer people. I think in part because of how I present myself through Instagram and online in part because of the kinds of imagery I'm interested in, but also because uh, just a lot of folks like that are getting tattoos in places like the Bay. And I'm sure it's happening in Chicago. I mean, there's amazing stuff happening in Chicago, New York, I'm sure it's happening in New Orleans, Los Angeles, for sure, Seattle, right? Like, and I know, and I met a lot of young uh, folks who would tell me, you know, you're the only dude I've ever gotten a tattoo from, right? As, as like a compliment. Um, and in part, because I tried to work and in, in incorporate practices of bodily autonomy and consent into my practice, right? So before I touch someone in tattooing, I say, hey, you know, do I have permission to touch and work with your body today? Uh, these are kinds of practices that I picked up, not in tattooing necessarily, but in the world of like leftist activist culture that I've been involved with for a long time. And so you start doing that and I started noticing that, hey, my clientele is responding. And the, the, the folks that I know who are tattooing in the Bay, who are, you know, queer or trans, um, they are very successful. <laughs> they have a lot of clients because clients want what they're want what they're giving, you know, which is a, a safer, funner, cuter, interesting experience. Um, and I think I think there's really in tattooing. I really think there's there's space for everything. So you can have a super cutesy shop. Everything's pink. Everything is like glitter. Everything is glam. Uh, you can have that six blocks away from a super biker shop. And there are gonna be enough people coming through the door if the people inside not only are producing good tattoos technically, but are producing good experiences for people, right? And some people want to go into a biker shop and they wanna feel like, hey, I'm part of this biker thing, right? Some people don't wanna go to a cute tattoo shop, but other people are like, I'm never walking into the biker shop. And so I suppose in my relatively short experience in tattooing has led me to believe that there is room for, for kind of everything. So if I do sit on any side of the debate, let's say mentioned in that article with SF MoMA, there's plenty of skin. I mean, it's, it's sort of in the, in the title, which is like, you know, if, if you're good at what you're doing, people are going to find you and they're going to get work from you. And maybe, maybe a proliferation of styles, a proliferation of aesthetics, a proliferation of kind of experiences, which we're seeing in tattooing, people are specializing, I think more than ever, then people can come and get what they want. And maybe the folks who aren't that good in terms of their work technically, or in terms of their presence, their interactional experience, you know, maybe they're going to be sitting around painting more and more wondering, hey, poor me, I don't have any clients. So I think there's plenty of room. And I think competition is good. So just thinking, um, you mentioned a couple of times there about um, when you did your PhD and training to be a tattooer during that time. And you've mentioned that you, well, that you're not doing it anymore. So what was it that sort of brought you into taking on a tattoo apprenticeship at the same time as doing your PhD? I mean, that's, that's mega. <laughs> yeah. So I'm, I'm kind of an intense person, uh, just generally like i try to fill my days uh with as much 
stuff as possible. And it was a totally wild. I mean, I was a tattoo apprentice. I was a full-time PhD student. I was also a community college teacher. I was always teaching two or three of my own courses. So I was working six and a half days a week, if not a full seven. And some of those days were 12 to 14 hours long. Um, it was a lot. And, but you know what, I was super stoked about it. And I never, I never actually thought I would, I would become a tattoo tattooer or tattoo artist. Uh, I thought I would be sitting on the sidelines, interviewing people, watching people, doing what most ethnographic projects can do in the tattoo space, which is you gain a bit of access to the space. You sort of hang out, you hang around, you listen, you talk with people uh, and you write down what you found, right? And you say, hey, this is what I found. Um, and I, I thought that that was my path uh, until I, I really dove deep uh, with one shop and one mentor, uh, Matt Decker at Premium Tattoo. It's in Oakland, uh, just near downtown. I had been getting tattoos from Matt for six years before I even approached him as a researcher. So that was probably, gosh, I guess 10 years ago now. And, um, you know, I came to him and I was like, hey, I'm going to do my PhD about tattooing because he had he'd known I was in graduate school. He was giving me tattoos. We were talking, you know, for years at that point. And he was like, okay, yeah, but you're never going to know anything real about tattooing unless you're hanging out in shops. Like, unless you're, you're not going to go, if you go around talking to people, they're going to tell you, you know, probably what you can learn elsewhere. And I was like, well, you've got a shop, right? Like, Hey, can I hang out here? Like, what would I even do? Like, I don't even know what that looks like, but can I, and he was like, no, absolutely not. And so, <laughs> and so I, uh, but you know, I did the thing where I became kind of pesky and I came back and was like, I want to do this. Like, I'm going to do this with your help or not. Uh, I like what you're doing and I appreciate your shop and can I hang out? And eventually he was like, you know, cause he had an apprentice at the time. He's like, you can follow my apprentice around for a couple of days, you know? And I was, I was like, wow, this is awesome. I'm going to be in the scene. And because part of his thing was like, look, there's a lot that happens in tattoo shops after hours. There's a lot that we talk about and do that is really important to what we do that you're just never going to see. And I was like, okay. So I got myself in and I just showed up and went to work. I mean, I was mopping the floor, cleaning the toilets. I took over the social media stuff on the Instagram. I was drawing. I became part of the scene and I essentially just never stopped showing up. And so... I would show up, do all that work, jump into everything. I was drawing with them and they eventually started hanging out. We all played Dungeons and Dragons once a week. Uh, so I learned how to play D&D. &D. And there was, a, there was a, a moment where he was like, you know, what the hell are you doing here? Why are you cleaning my shop? He's like, go clean a beach, you know? Get like, what are you doing? Uh, like, and, and, and we started having conversations kind of like that where it was almost like a challenge and he, he sort of challenged me at one point to ask for an apprenticeship. He was like, I know you want to be here. I know you love this thing. I know your, your drawings are awesome. They'd make for great tattoos. And you're just sitting around not taking the risk that is like asking for what you actually want in your life. And so eventually I was like, I really want to do this thing. And, you know, he was very cautious. Like it was very sort of caution. There's a lot of like, this is going to take you years. You have to do this full on. And he was like, so if you're going to do this, you got to do it. Because once you start tattooing people, you're going to see that you have a ton of responsibility uh, when it comes to them and their bodies and my shop. 
and you know, you cannot just do this, say you're going to do it and do it half ass. And, uh, so I agreed to do it and it was terrifying. I then tattooed him as my first tattoo ever. And that was when as a sociologist, my brain started going on fire because I had had all of these ideas about what I thought was interesting about tattooing. Oh, it's this occupation. They don't have training necessarily in the, in the form of schools. And there's this, uh, you know, questions around uh, apprenticeships and stuff and all of that. Not It didn't all the way go out the window, but it was like, it became far less pertinent to my everyday experience because what consumed me totally was figuring out how to sit with one other person and give them a tattoo that wasn't terrible. Right. And whenever I found myself making mistakes to go home and not beat myself up about it constantly. And I, I felt like I had this kind of slap in the face about tattooing where I was like, Oh, the biggest secret about tattooing is that it's incredibly difficult. And the people who do it well are really good about, keeping that a secret. They hide it from their clients on purpose. They don't want you to know that what they're doing is incredibly hard. Um, so being faced with like, oh my God, this is way harder than I could have ever imagined, both technically and interpersonally. Um, it was also a super exciting thing to do, right? To pull a line through someone's skin hmm. in the shop with a machine for real and for money is exhilarating. And I started thinking, this is the thing. This is what tattooing is all about. Like, this is where the action is. You know, it's like in the moment with the person who's sweating, you're wiping blood from their body, and you might be having a really sweet conversation about their parents or partners, and you're having fun. But there's all of this stuff that each tattooer has to keep together, you know, during that entire entire process. So I started wondering, okay, this is what tattooing is all about. How do I tell this story like what is this thing <laughs> and so that took me a few years to figure out and every time i tattooed someone i feel like i learned a little bit more about that thing and it's hard to communicate and earlier you mentioned uh, me publishing my work uh, i do have a full-blown manuscript of the dissertation it's under review with a, uh, a university press but um the book which is much better than the dissertation the whole thing is about trying to explain what I've just tried to describe, which is like, what makes tattooing what it is? And how is it that we can sort of think about that in terms of the meaning we make of bodies, of interpersonal experience, and what I'm starting to think of as human intermingling, the, the kind of risks and rewards of getting really close with somebody, doing something that has high stakes, uh, doing it physically with them, and leaving very close, closer than friends, but still kind of strangers. And tattoo artists do that a few times a day, every day. And uh, that's the thing that I think makes tattooing amazing and scary and thrilling and worthwhile, actually. Um, and so that's kind of what I'm seeking to uh, to explain. <laughs> We, we can't wait to read that book. It, yeah, it, it's And I, I remember we talked at length about this, the embodied experience of the tattooer, right? Because everyone focuses on the product and to some extent, the process of being tattooed, but almost never the process of tattooing, at least in the literature uh, from the perspective we're looking at. And I have to put a pin in 
another question though and remind me because I, I used to work in music distribution so I want to have a punk rock conversation and find out what's going on in San Francisco right now and what your favorite band is but since you just talked about the experience of being a tattooer I wonder if you could address the sort of uh theory of embodiment you're using and I wonder if you're using it in the same way we use it and how you would describe say the embodied production of tattooers or how embodiment uh, applies to the tattooing profession and 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 for listeners like how this theory is useful to understand your experience uh great question and i would say that in the manuscript the book that eventually will come out the the uh theory around embodiment is less central than it was in like the dissertation version of this stuff in part because the dissertation had to be a bit more uh insider baseball in terms of like what sociologists are thinking about um I understand embodiment to pretty simply just encompass the experience of having and using a body. And really it relies on the idea that this Cartesian split between mind and body is perhaps more of a fiction than, than a reality that we don't just have bodies that we are, that we are bodies that, (laughs) that as people, we go through the world and experience our lives in a very embodied way, which means in a way that encompasses our entire physiology, that we're inherently emotional um, creatures who respond to our physical environments, that our thoughts and passions and hatreds are sort of pulsing through our bodies, not just in our heads. And so when I think about embodiment, when it comes to tattooing, part of what I think about is, uh, at least in my experience, the fact that Tattooing can change uh, how a person experiences the world and how they experience themselves. And what I mean by that is when you sit down, you know, five days a week for a couple of years or whatever, and you're working to tattoo the bodies of other people for money, the meanings uh, and the challenges of doing that will shape how you think about yourself in the world. And so an example might be, you know, in this quote unquote embodied production of the tattooer, any tattooer has to learn how to use machines. Uh, There's a a variety of tattooing machines that people use today, including the coil machine, which is kind of the old school machine based on some of the first machines of really loud, more heavy vibrating machines. Uh, And there are these really nice rotary pen machines that are kind of thick pens that have very little sound and very little vibration. But regardless of whether you're using a coil or a rotary pen, you have to learn how to move your hand with that thing in it. (laughs) You have to learn how to do that skillfully. And I was trained, you know, for instance, to never use my wrist to make moves and tattooing, to always sort of move from the elbow and the shoulder um, to gain a sense of, of stability in the tattoo mark. Because making a line, one decent line is incredibly hard, incredibly hard with a tattoo machine. You know, it would be hard on a piece of paper on a flat surface. Now, imagine you're doing that on a nervous, squirming, round, fleshy body. And so you tattooers have to learn how to hold the machine confidently, how to touch the bodies of other people with confidence. Uh, What sociologists call sort of rules of touch or the right touch, which I explore in the book. And so learning how to do that with clients as just an example, holding the machine, touching their body and moving it on their body is going to change how they experience their own bodies. So as a tattooer, I gained a lot of awareness over my own breath 
over my posture, over the way, the, the sort of tightness of grip that I had on the machine, over how much of pressure I was applying to the body of someone else, their skin stretching it. And all of that awareness helped me understand my own habits and things that I had to break and things that I had to learn how to do. For instance, I used to hold the tattoo machine really tight, like white knuckle grip on that thing. So I was nervous. I didn't want to shake. I was like, oh God, you know, this is forever, you know, and doing this whole thing. And so I had to figure out, hey, okay, pay attention to the grip, loosen the grip, not too loose, not too tight. And so I'm doing that while having a conversation with them, screaming across the shop to somebody else, listening to music. And I carry that kind of awareness with me throughout my daily life now. So even if I'm not tattooing regularly, I still sort of embody or, you know, I'm still characterized by the demands of tattoo labor. And I suppose that's a, maybe it's a long-winded way to answer your question. Um, that's kind of what I mean by uh, the embodiment of tattooers. And the general lesson there is that people become tattooers over time as they face the challenges of tattooing re uh, repetitively, um, that they learn how to navigate the nuances of tattooing as they do it and they get better at it as they go, if they're paying attention, and they come to take it as a kind of taken for granted approach to the world. So when you fully embody something, you don't have to really think about it too much. You can go into what a tattooer called autopilot. Um, your body knows what to do. You know, if you have that sense with anything, including, I don't know, flying a plane, riding a bike, skateboarding, you know, if you're a good writer, writing, um, that you feel almost like you are tuned in to the demands of what you're doing, both body and mind simultaneously. If you've gotten there, that would be the sort of embodiment of tattooing. And part of becoming a tattooer is trying to embody tattooing and not just the, the sort of technicalities of doing one good tattoo, but of rather every day interacting with clients and doing tattooing well. That's a superb answer. Uh, now, favorite punk rock band in San Francisco. Uh, I'll tell you, I am so not cool these days. Uh, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm just really not even close to the scene. I have, I have a newborn. I have a, a two week year old, two week old kid in the next room, which is why my brain feels like it's been in a blender for two weeks. But, um, you know, historically, I would say crime. I was going to say, to be fair, I was going to I was going to ask you crime of the weirdos. Yeah, crime, <laughs> crime. I mean, San Francisco's doomed. I mean, to write that so long ago and it's still so pertinent. Uh, yeah, crime, I would say, is my favorite. The, the mummies rise uh, up for me personally because yeah. I'm a garage person. But yes, good, good answer. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Well, I, I I feel you in the brain scramble. I have a, a ten month old at home, so for listeners, Sonic Youth covered Hot Wire My Heart. That's probably the closest anyone has come to actually knowing what we're talking about. If they're not punk rock people, <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. And, you know, in fact, I have on the shelf. I have a book uh, by Vale, who did research um, on Punk seventy seven in San Francisco, and I've met Vale several times. Uh, we didn't have a formal interview, but I talked to him all about the 90s uh, movement around quote-unquote modern primitivism. Uh, I met some of those people. Uh, Vale's a really cool dude. He's still out. He's still out asking his books. Uh, mm -hmm. Yeah, I've met him several times. Yeah, I would love to, I would love to have that conversation, but yeah. I digress. 
<laughs> well, I'll, I'll bring us back because I don't have m- as much to contribute to the punk rock conversation. But I find this this process you're describing, this embodiment, so fascinating and sounds very meditative while also extremely difficult. So I want to go back to something you, you touched on. You talked about the responsibility of, of a tattooer and the, and the respect and intimacy you have for people and, and their bodies. And you mentioned the, the rules of touch. But then you also have a chapter in your, in your dissertation, soon to be book, called Becoming Skin Tone Conscious in Tattoos. And I was wondering if you could talk a little bit more about that. Absolutely. I mean, one of the most interesting avenues into thinking about tattooing as, as a thing that exists in our world is to think about the role of race, uh, racism in the tattoo world. You can sort of analyze how it is that tattooing has, at least in the, in the United States, been it's been a kind of a white boys club, right? Now, of course, in the indigenous folks of North America giving each other tattooing and or markings and tattoos and there's a lot of histories of tattooing, but a lot of people, when they think about contemporary tattooing, think about the sort of white biker culture. So, so there's there's a world to explore there, right? Which is, how is it that we think about race, race relations, white supremacy and tattooing? Uh, there's a, a lot of moments, uh, at least in the last five years, where people have called out uh, particular tattooers for exhibiting racial prejudice, for valorizing the imagery of white supremacy, and so those folks uh, absolutely need to need to go down. What I would like to say is part of the rudder that I held in trying to figure out what to include in this dissertation, in this book, and what to not include in the book, I would ask myself, did someone, did I have to become a tattooer to answer that question? Um, if the answer to that question was no, like, hey, no, a person who never did a tattoo could easily answer that question then I would try to work it out of the project. Uh, so I was trying to only include stuff that required this kind of methodological, experiential thing that I did. And so that helps hone the project into like, you know, being a particular story, which is important. Um, and, it, and it helped me find stuff that I didn't find initially. So in the chapter on skin on, and skin tone consciousness, uh, what I'm trying to do there is explain this incredibly fascinating thing that happens in tattoo shops all day, not all day, but all the time, which is that what you're dealing with in tattooing is skin, right? And from a design perspective, the people who are doing tattoos have to think about how it is that skin tone is going to interact with the tones and also the textures and the line weight and stuff of, of the tattoos that they're doing. Um, tattoo artists have to take skin tone into account when they plan out the project that they're doing with another person. And so they have to find a way, and I don't think this is really possible in the United States due to the significance of skin tone and skin tone racism in the history of the United States, but they have to find a way to address skin tone as a physical thing, that they have to wiggle their way between skins, uh, like cultural and physical significance, because skin is both cultural and physical. It's a thing in the world, right? Every body is covered in it, but we give that skin meaning on the basis of not only its tone, but of course on its uh, elasticity, its sort of thickness, its you know degree of wrinkles or not, right? We look to skin and skin signals to us 
information. And we give that information meaning such as age or in this case, race, when it comes down to tone. And so not that race is all about skin tone, it's about phenotypes, it's about all sorts of things, but the, the tone of skin is one of the most significant markers of, of our society. And so tattoo artists have to address skin tone as a physical thing in the world to say, hey, like me, I've got this like pinkish skin, uh, you know, and we're gonna think about that when we think about your tattoo. But most of the time, and a lot of tattoo artists aren't expressly trained to work with a variety of skin tones. Um, and so, so what you see in tattooing is you'll see a, a tattoo artist pop up on Instagram and say, Hey, you know, I know you all love my tattoos, but you know, so, and some tattooers have said, Oh, but they don't work very well with darker skin. And so what they're trying to do there is describe skin in a very technical way, skin tone in a very technical way to say there's a variety of skin tones and I'm talking about skin tone. I'm not talking about race, but any real conversation about skin tone is a conversation about race. It's, in, it's inescapable because what that person is saying is like, Hey, I can't No, you know, if, if you have darker skin or if you're black, you can't get tattooed by me. So tattoo artists, when they say stuff like that are, in, I think, increasingly coming under fire, um, in part because people are saying, you know what, you should learn how to tattoo a variety of skin tones. Why are you only working on pale white people? But in some respects, what I'm trying to do there is just try to figure out how tattoo artists think about the relationship between skin tone and its cultural significance, that is race, uh, and how they navigate conversations about skin tone with their clients. and. Some examples that really prompted me to think in this way include one where a man came into the shop at, at Premium looking to have a tattoo on his name, uh, sorry, a name tattooed on his hand. <laughs> Remember the br blender brain from the newborn. Uh, <laughs> and he had, he had rather dark skin. And he said to me, like many people said to me, maybe because I'm a white guy, like, do you think we could do it with my skin, my dark skin? Do you think I could see the tattoo if you tattooed it on my skin? Right. And so here we're in a shop. I don't know this guy, but we're talking directly about skin tone and in a way that you would likely not talk about a person's skin tone anywhere else. The tattoo shop's an amazing place where people are talking about skin tone in ways that I think is pretty unique. So we try stuff out. I'm like, you know, your skin is rather dark there. I'm happy to tattoo this thing wherever you want it. Uh, I drew the name on his skin with a Sharpie just to show him kind of what it would look like. Uh, we couldn't really see anything because it was on his hand, it was very dark. And so we have this moment of negotiation where I'm like, okay, well, let's do this. You know, you want to see this tattoo, you're excited about it. And, and I, in becoming more skin tone conscious, I'm pretty well aware that the skin tone on that guy's shoulder or inner bicep or upper leg is going to be lighter than it is on his hand. And so part of the, the experience I have is working with this person to say, well, you want this tattoo what if we did it on your shoulder? What if we did it on your upper thigh? And it's not me saying, I'm not going to tattoo you, right? It's me saying, I'm here to listen to what you want. And if you want to be able to see this tattoo and you wanted it on your hand, but you're not happy with what I wrote on your hand, let's see if we can try it somewhere else. Um, and so moments of those like negotiation like that would happen and, and are very light and, and not, not hard. 
uh, for, you know, I've been teaching about race relations for a decade. So I know how to navigate conversations about race and racism and white supremacy pretty well. Uh, but I was struck by having conversations like that on a kind of casual way uh, in tattooing. And so tattoo artists don't have the luxury of skin tone, color blindness. They have to become radically conscious of the variety of skin tone uh, across a person's body and across their clientele. They have to notice it. They have to think about it. They have to talk about it. They have to alter their practices to respond to skin tone. And so in one of the ways that people are impacted by tattooing, uh, it manifests in this kind of consciousness around skin tone that they say, okay, they can look at someone and very quickly, a seasoned tattoo artist can say very quickly, okay, I'm seeing in that person's skin tone, a great deal of yellow and you know of dark purple. And so in response to that, I'm gonna use these colors to ensure that the flower in their tattoo can be easily seen. And this is a demand that people are placing on tattooers to say, hey, you know, if I'm going to work with you, you're going to be someone who knows how to do that. You're going to be someone who knows how to talk about that. And it's a it's really big conversation among the tattooers I was uh, I was around at the time. That that makes sense, I think. Um, and I think a lot of people take for granted that level of detail that tattooists need to be able to talk to you about as a client and apply or you know so you're talking there a lot about tone and color um there's also the position on the body and how the skin like the texture changes from different places and um maybe the the bone structure that's underneath might warp the tattoo in certain ways or something that we've all got to kind of think about i mean i said i just said we not me i'm not tattooing anyone but it's something that you can't just go in and go i want this and i want it here and i want it to look perfect and you've got to there's all these different things that you've got to think about in as an artist I'm guessing to make that look great and to work and it it is a strange kind of intimacy that you you have with your customers I I guess that's how I see it from the from the customer's perspective so I, I you know when I got I got a tattoo done on the top of me thigh a few years ago and I was like oh god I'm gonna have to go in this shop with with shorts on and I feel so embarrassed and they're like I don't care. Like, I don't give a shit. We see all sorts and this isn't what I'm looking at, <laughs> but it's, it's, it's a weird kind of intimacy. <laughs> yeah. And, and sort of my trip is, is trying to explain how it becomes for a tattoo artist, how it becomes natural, because it's not like that at the beginning. Right. So if you were to talk with any tattooer, at least the ones I spoke with and try to trace their development uh, and try to ask them like, Hey, when did you start taking this for granted, or when did you start thinking about this in those terms? You know, you could get down to some moments where they're like, oh, right, I had a client, gosh, that was 10 years ago. And um, because they forget, but it is a process. And I'm interested in that process. And part of what I talk about in the book is uh, touching rules or like the ways in which tattoo artists are supposed to, or, you know, learn how to touch the bodies of other people, often in areas that you would never touch a stranger in. Uh, yes. You know, I've tattooed people's butts, tattooed right under their boobs, tattooed mm-hmm. their necks, their feet, uh, their hands. You know, I've tattooed almost everything. I almost got to tattoo a guy's penis, but he pulled out. He, he, <laughs> he, he didn't want to do it at the end, but I really, I really wanted to get uh, from what my mentor says from toes to nose. But uh, it got close. I never tattooed a face, but um, at any rate, there are what what you could call also exhibition rules. So. 
I think of the tattoo shop kind of like the beach, like the beach has a special kind of rules. Like you can go to the beach and essentially be mostly naked. Yes. Uh, you know, if you're at a Calif if you're at a beach in California and you're hanging out and then you walk across the street back toward the liquor store and you're going to get some beer, all of a sudden you feel naked. Right. If you're, if you're, you know, you're like, Oh, I, I can't be in this liquor store. I've essentially got no clothes on. Yeah. Um, because the rules of the liquor store are different than the rules of the beach. And mm -hmm. there are kind of a set of rules in the tattoo shop where, well, you have to, you have to reveal uh, the body uh, to tattoo mm -hmm. it uh, to some degree. And so uh, the tattoo artists I know and worked around are very blase about people taking their shirts off or sitting in their underwear. And part of the work that a tattooer has to do and a tattoo shop has to do is to remind people that they, that they are in a space where, yeah, having tiny shorts on or, you know, having a little pasties over the nipples or whatever, that that is something that occurs there often. That is something that is part of the process. And I really think that the necessity of exposure, exposing the skin, exposing the bodies, that's one of the reasons why, one of the many reasons why tattoo shops, at least contemporary tattoo shops that I know about, are doing a lot of work to ensure that their clients are super comfortable and that the queer shops, the shops owned by trans folks, the shops that are um, explicitly feminist, I think attract people because they think, oh, I'm going to go in there and feel safe. Like I'm going to go in there and no one's going to be staring at my butt while I'm getting a tattoo. Um, and so I think most tattoo shops have to a lot of them have to own up and, and sort of engage that responsibility and and ensure that their clients are going to be comfortable exposing their bodies. Yeah, I, I really I really like the way you described the process as this yeah this this intimate negotiation. And I think mm -hmm. I can't wait to read read the book because it this these tattoo shops and these experiences are kind of grounds for these really unique cultural exchanges that that don't really happen in in the quote unquote outside world. So. I think that's I think that's great. I think it's quite unique. I mean, you might get some of it in a in a hair, you know, a salon or a manicurist space, but the stakes are different. You know, I I interviewed a couple yeah. of hairstylists uh and they would, you know, I would ask them, okay, like what do you think about when you made a mistake on someone's hair? Well they say, Well, I always try to remember that hair grows back. Um <laughs> tattooing is forever to a certain extent. I sort of unpack that. I think there's a lot to say about permanence and tattooing, but um but the stakes are high because every mark you make, you know, you have to you have to really consider that it's going to be there for the long haul. So it's almost like and learning how to tattoo means you're going to do a bunch of bad tattoos before you do good ones. And so in some respect, it's like doing your first haircut on someone who's, you know, having their wedding that same day or something. Right. Where you're like, OK. And so you can think about the stakes increasing and part of what makes tattooing so special and part of what makes it terribly difficult is its bodily permanence is the fact that it's painful. The fact it's very carnal, you know, you're, you're interacting with people's blood. And I hope my work kind of tells tattooing's biggest secret, which is that it's terribly difficult. <laughs> um, but that it's a secret. I'm sure a lot of people don't want to be told because they, they don't want their clients walking in thinking that, um, you know, that mistakes happen and that tattooers have bad days just like everyone else.
Yeah, you're already you're already nervous enough walking in. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, well, this is why people look at portfolios. This is why people shop around for artists. This is why, yeah. you know, people... They definitely should. <laughs> yeah, people do that. And now some people don't, and they get tattoos that are kind of bad. Um, yeah. But part of what's interesting about tattooing, too, is that you can actually have a pretty bad tattoo, technically bad. But what I found, at least in talking with my clients and being a client, is that if you love the experience getting it, if it's a great memory for you, if you got it on a good trip or you like were super excited about being in a new city and you went got a new tattoo, even if the tattoo isn't that great, having a good experience around it can make it great. Um, yeah. And the same goes for the reverse. I've had several clients come in and blow me away because they have world-class tattoos on them. I mean, I, I've tattooed people with tattoos from some of the best artists I've ever experienced and i'm like wow i have to put a tattoo next to that thing that <laughs> no pressure that amazing work of art like uh, uh but you know what i've had some people say yeah i love this tattoo is amazing but the dude who did it was a total dick and i hated it for three years it does ruin your tattoo doesn't yeah. it if you if you have that i know um a lot well recently there'd been a lot of you know people coming out on instagram um like calling out tattooists who'd been creepy yeah you know and trying to get you know sexual favors and instead of money payment and things and you just think you know then you have that permanent reminder of what's happened on your body and you see it all the time and it it ruins the it and it doesn't matter how technically perfect it is it's going to ruin your tattoo for you and yeah awful awful yeah so that among other things teaches us first of all that creepy tattooers need to you know, either school up and figure out how to do some restorative justice work with their clients uh, and or get out of tattooing. Um, but it also teaches us how people experience the world and their bodies. And uh, it makes for great sociology and it makes for a good lesson for anyone who's getting tattoos or wanting to become a tattooer because, well, in some respect, if you give someone a bad tattoo, but you give them a great experience, you can kind of save your ass a, a little bit, <laughs> but um, I still come to love it. I think. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, I don't know about you, Becky, but I think Dustin just uh, did our job for us and kind of wrapped this oh, thing yes. up in a nice, nice little bow. Definitely, um, it's been brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> and I know we could we could sit here and talk to you for hours, but uh, we've already had you yeah. for over an hour, and I'm sure you got to get back to your your little one, but. Uh, I want to ask, what's the title of the book? Is it still going to be Blood and Lightning or are you, do you have a new title? Uh, Blood and Lightning. And that comes from my mentor, Matt Decker's um, passionate, fantastical language inspired by a lifetime of D&D and &D describing, describing the great thing that is tattooing. Uh, he would tell me you know, directly in, in my face, man, blood and lightning. And, I, and it took me a long time to understand what he meant. And... Uh, and I think what he meant was has, has to do with a profound thing that happens between the tattooer and their client on a daily basis. Yeah. I'm looking forward to, to grabbing a copy of that when it comes out. <laughs> Absolutely. And, uh, yeah. and, and hopefully we'll get to have you back and, and talk to you again about this some more once we have a chance to read the new book. Yeah, I'm happy to do it. Love talking about it. Awesome. So can you just let us know um, how anyone can find you or follow you or anything like that before we before we wrap up? You can find me on Instagram at Dusty Tattoo. 
send me your love, send me your hate. I want to read about it. Um, <laughs> yeah, because, you know, it's, this stuff is hard. I mean, it's hard to talk about, especially as someone, I mean, it's hard to talk about tattooing. It's hard to talk about race and tattooing. Um, so I, I definitely want to know uh, how people experience what I'm, what I'm putting out there. Well, that's that great. Perfect. Thank you very yeah. much, Dustin. Thank you. It's been yeah. a pleasure. Thank you so much. All right. Bye, everybody. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening. We're on Twitter at inking underscore immunity and on Instagram and Facebook at inking.of.immunity. The hosts of the show are Dr. Chris Lynn and Mike Smetana at the University of Alabama and Dr. Becky Owens at UK Sunderland. Kira Yancey is the production manager. Thanks to the University of Alabama Anthropology Department for helping make this show possible. You can find our full unedited season two interviews on our Facebook page or watch them happening live on Facebook most Wednesday mornings. See you next time.